Financial decisions. You face them at every turn. Do you ever feel lost? Do you ever feel like you might be missing something or making a mistake? Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner at Step Right Capital Planning. Hi there. Welcome to the show. This is Step Right with Lynn, part of the Mindful Money Management Program. I have a guest today with a message that's important for you to hear. But before I tell you about Leanne Shaken, I've got something I'd like to talk to you about. I'm really glad that you're listening because I'd like to ask you a favor. I need your help. My daughter bet me cooking dinner on Sunday for a month that I can't get 100 new listeners for the show this month. So please log into SoundCloud and click on the follow button and prove her wrong. There's also a like button on SoundCloud and that lets new listeners know that others have heard value in the show. And if you found the show through Facebook or LinkedIn, please like and share there as well. That allows the show to be found when people search for the show and the topics in the show. Also, the search engines reward the shows they know have listeners like you, listeners that acknowledge their listening. When you like, share, follow, and comment, it helps to spread the message. But most of all, it helps me show my daughter that I can get 100 new followers of the show. Besides, you know what holiday's coming up, and that can be your gift to me. You know what else? It allows you to bring me all your great ideas for show topics and guests. So after you hit the follow and the like buttons, please feel free to send me an email, lynn at stepright.ca, with your comments and your suggestions. That's lynn at stepright.ca, L-Y-N-N, at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T, dot C-A. My guest today is Leanne Shaken. Leanne sings with me in the Rainbow Chorus of Waterloo, Wellington, and we got talking one day and learned that we have some things in common. So listen to this. Leanne lives in Guelph, Ontario, and obviously we have in common that we like to sing. Then, she's the creator of a podcast called The Smart Seed. Her show is dedicated to sparking imaginations and excitement over everything food. Each show, Leanne tells a story about one food. These stories are a gateway into the inner workings of the systems that govern our society, our food system, our economic system, and our social systems. So singing is one thing, the podcast is another, and then I like to eat, so I'm pretty interested in food as well. Here's the next one. Leanne was raised on a farm in southern Ontario, as was I. She spent seven years working in the local organic food industry, both in Saskatchewan and Ontario. She moved to Guelph with her husband in the spring of 2015. Leanne, welcome to Step Right with Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. We have growing up on a farm in southern Ontario in common. My grandparents were cash crop farmers, as I believe your family was yeah. as what well. Did your, uh, what did they grow? Corn, soybeans, yeah. Uh, wheat. Yeah. Now, I grew up near Ridgetown, and you were... Near Glencoe, so that's about, I think they're 40 minutes away, but flat. Yes, yes, (laughs) yeah, yeah, very flat area. Industrial farming. For sure. 
Do you think that growing up on a farm gives you a unique perspective? I hope so. I was actually just thinking one of my favorite novelists is Robertson Davies, and he has a novel called What's Bred in the Bone. And when I read it in university, it really spoke to me because I think farming and agriculture is bred in the bone to me. It's in my bones, whether I would like it to be or not. And I think right now, you know, a lot of stories you hear is a lot of new people who didn't grow up on a farm and didn't grow up around agriculture and either they're becoming farmers or they're entering the industry. And I think the fact that I grew up on a farm brings me a certain perspective. I tend to feel like I could bridge the gaps and there's a lot of gaps in the agriculture of the old, the industrial agriculture from that began in the 1950s to kind of the renaissance agriculture that's occurring now with small organic farming and mm -hmm. I feel like I have my feet in kind of all aspects and so it enlightens me and definitely my time being a child on a farm and working in barns definitely has an influence on my ideas and my opinions so okay. for sure great the podcast mm -hmm. what do you hope to do with the podcast basically my intention is to spark an interest I think when I started it, my, my hope was that I could engage people who might just be starting to think about the food that they eat and where it comes from and the complexities around food and the issues around food. And I hope to spark that interest through a story. As you mentioned, every podcast, it starts with a different food. So it could be avocados. It could be, I think my last one was about black pepper. Usually it's through conversations that I'm like, oh, well, there's something going on in the news about this food. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's what I'm going to talk about. It's just through research that I try to find an interesting story mm -hmm. about that. And at the end of the day, I'm trying to engage people with something that is interesting and something that is entertaining and try to kind of pique their interest and to get people to start thinking about issues that I care about and hopefully I can get other people to care about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find that our knowledge is lacking? Uh, that's interesting. I think, I think our knowledge has been growing. Let's say if we compare ourselves today compared to 10 years ago, I think there's a lot of people that assume they know a lot more there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot more article like if you go on facebook or, or sure. social media there's a lot more articles about food but i think it's what is actually being spread what's the truth and what's not the truth what i've learned is that a lot of people think they know a lot of things but the reality is quite different and it's trying to navigate between those two so what originally interested you in working in the food industry? I was thinking about this today. I was just like, you know, it's really difficult to try to figure out what you're interested in. You know, what is your career? Right. And I find it absurd that there are people who are like 18 and 17 and they're being asked to figure out what their career is going to be. Mm. And the way I went about it was I asked myself what makes me happy and what gets me excited. And it was really about connecting the dots. So. Mm -hmm. My husband and my boyfriend at the time, we would go to the farmer's market 
every Saturday. And that Mm -hmm. made me happy. Okay. I volunteered at the University of Toronto radio station. I produced one show and it was about the pork industry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, I really like producing. I think I'm going to be in radio. And then I did not produce anything else. And I was just like, okay, that's telling me something. And then there was one moment when I was living in Scotland and I had two roommates and we would make dinner for each other. One day they came home and they said, you know, we're trying to save money because we want to go on some more trips. So we're thinking that we should lower our budget for food. There's this great place in Edinburgh, I think it was called Frozen Land, mm-hmm. and it was basically a grocery store full of frozen wow. products. Okay. And they were like, you know, we can go shopping there. And it was interesting because I had such reaction to it. I was just like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're going to ask me to just eat processed food. And it was visceral. Mm-hmm. And I never even thought much about what I ate. I just grew up with a mom who cooked. Right. Right. My dad never cooked, but my mom cooked. Mm -hmm. And it was just, and it wasn't fancy, but it was good food. And it was at those moments where something else was presented to you that you were Mm -hmm. just like, no, this is important to me. One of my first jobs was working at a grocery store. You know, that was when I was 16. And when I was 22, I'm working in this office job. And you're trying to figure out what you're being told that would make you happy and what actually makes you happy Mm -hmm. and I was going okay I've had like five jobs so far which job did I like the most and it was really shocking to me that I had the most joy at my grocery store when I was 16 so I put all those together and I was just like you know I think I'm actually interested in food which was really hard because I hated the farm when I was a kid it just pulled me in and I felt so stuck as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember my sister, she, I was so jealous of her because ever since she was 16, she would go off for the summer and she was always in ventures and she would go camping and she'd work at camps in Thunder Bay mm-hmm. and she got to go. And right. I was so jealous of that. And so the idea that I was actually interested in agriculture and farming after wanting to have left it for so long was right. It took me definitely, I think, six months for me to be like, are you kidding me? (laughs) I was like, I think I was actually pretty pissed off about it, but it is what it is. Yeah. So since you've been studying, what have you learned about the food industry and about the consumer? From my perspective, I think the more I learn, the less is clear. I started off by really going gung-ho about organic agriculture and going Mm -hmm. like, this is the solution. And I remember both my sister and I, because my brother and my dad are both farmers, and we were trying to convince them to go organic. And the interesting thing about new farmers is that it's hard to get land, especially right now, like land prices are insane. So they rent. And in my brother's case, what happened was The land that he rented from were from people who were from the city. And as a prerequisite, he had to grow it organically. So it wasn't a choice. He kind of just fell into it. So he decided to become certified, which is the only way you're going to get your premium is to be a certified organic farmer. And then you learn more about it. You learn that you need three years in order to transition into organic. So that means three years without your yield. Yes. And then without your premium. No income. No income. Uh And there's no one helping you. I moved to Regina in 2010, and I worked on farms there, and 
I worked in retail and I got to know a lot of farmers. There are some who chose to be certified organic and some who chose not to be. And it's just, it's not an easy decision. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of money to be certified. You know, I've been in conversations with farmers who have been certified organic and chose to drop it. Oh. Because at the end of the day, they found if they knew their consumer, if the consumer trusted them, like if they were at the farmer's market, then it didn't really matter. And at the end of the day, the cost of the recording and the time of being certified didn't make sense to their bottom line. There's so many complexities. So for instance, my brother, he was told because they're conventional and organic, he was told that he could not plant the same type of seed on his conventional farms and his organic farms because they couldn't tell the difference. So then you have to find a different type of soybean. But you also have to deal with the fact that there is less varieties out there for Mm -hmm. farmers who are cash crop farmers. Right. You have a lot more GMO seeds that are out there, but less and less conventional non-GMO. It's easy for someone who doesn't know a lot about it to be like, yes, organic is the way. Mm -hmm. And then once you get into it and once you learn more about it, you're just like, oh, it's not so easy. That kind of goes with everything. Right Mm -hmm. now, you're the organic world is going through a massive buyout. So you have companies like General Mills buying out foundational organic companies Mm -hmm. that I'm used to seeing. If you go grocery shopping at Costco or Zares or Loblaws and you see your four organic aisles, right? Mm -hmm. Your natural products. Most of those products that are there are there because they've been bought out and now they can feed into the distribution system that those big companies like Coca-Cola and PepsiCo can bring them. So it's not black and white. It appears to be black and white. And as you get closer, it's very gray. Mm -hmm. And so you try to figure out, well, what do you think is important? And so labels become less important. And to me, the idea of small farms, the idea of competition and not having monopolies are really important. The idea of not just being a marketing label. The food industry is, in my opinion, is 80% marketing. Mm -hmm. And I'm not too sure how much is truth. Right. If it looks pretty and if it sounds good, then the consumer feels like, okay, that makes sense. I think the one example I would give is I went to like a food fest event on the side of a truck, there's a big board that said grain-fed beef. Like, that was a good thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and it's like, well, the reason why grass-fed beef is a thing mm-hmm. and people will pay a premium for it is because cows can't naturally digest grain. And so the fact that you're promoting grain-fed beef and trying to say that somehow this beef is different than all of the rest of the beef that's out there is would ridiculous. Would it have more marbling? Would it have more fat? A grain, grain fed would They be. tend to. Yeah. But that's like. I'm not saying that's healthier. No. I'm just, well, you know. It's you know. like uh, they're basically marketing something that is what the mass product is and right. trying to differentiate. Yes. 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 Right? Yeah. Like hormone free. Well, exactly. Or, when or, or antibiotic free because nothing can go to market with antibiotics, well, right? Well, from what I know, 
antibiotics is a problem. So antibiotics is in most of our meat. And so if you do get something that's antibiotic free, um, then that's a good thing. Hormones is different in Canada. Mm -hmm. So from what I know, I don't like getting into this because this is where there are people, there are people who are like, I know, Mm -hmm. I know this is the fact. Okay. And for me, I'm like, I've heard it from somewhere. Okay. Yes. What I have heard is that there is this tendency to market all meat mm-hmm. in Canada as like differentiate between hormone free and not hormones, which is assuming that is that if it's hormone free, then everything else has hormones in it, right. which is not true. Right. So there are some animals in Canada, okay. I think most animals that do not have hormones right. in it. Right. It's like the A&W commercial yeah, yeah, where they say hormone free. That's what I was And you're just of. like, well, hardly any of our beef has hormones in it right or whatever right so what i'm hearing is that you're out there looking for the truth i'm trying to yeah it's frustrating (laughs) it's hidden it's hidden it's hidden yeah um just going back to organic for a minute do you find that people feel like it's a good idea until they see the price uh yeah (laughs) i was thinking about this the other day and i was going you know what questions do i get asked I've been working in retail for mm-hmm. the last six, seven years, um, which I find fascinating because I get to talk to a lot of people and I get to really dissect the consumer, mm-hmm. which is you guys. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but and so I was thinking, what are the questions that I'm asked? And the number one questions has to do with allergens, whether they are actual allergens or people are choosing just not to add them into their diet. So right. is this gluten free? Mm, is right. this dairy free? Does this have sugar in it? Blah, blah, blah. The second one is how are these animals treated? And at the end of the day, in regards to like organic and the price, right now the price is always king. Mm -hmm. So you would, for instance, if it's around turkey season and people call up and their intention is to get an organically certified free range turkey. Right. So they'll call up and we'll be like, well, no, we have an antibiotic-free, free-range turkey. Mm-hmm. And this is the price. And it's a big deal. Like, people are used to spending, I think my mom said she spent like $24 on a turkey. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for an antibiotic-free, free-range turkey, you're looking at, for the same amount, like $75, $80. Yeah. So it's a big deal. Yeah. And I, I completely understand how the price can affect people's shopping habits and what they choose Mm -hmm. to shop. Mm -hmm. The only thing that I can say is that as someone who does not make a lot of money and who cares a lot about food, Mm -hmm. there are ways around it. And there are ways to be able to eat the quality that you deserve to eat, that we all deserve Mm -hmm. to eat in a healthy manner that I feel like we could kind of still stick to our budgets. Right. But you have to be a little creative. So instead of a beef tenderloin mm-hmm. or a eye of round roast, you get a beef cheek oh, or a beef tongue. This is my best suggestion. So one of the most expensive things to get for chicken is a chicken breast. Mm-hmm. In the store that I work at, you can get two chicken breasts for about $15. Okay. Or you could get a frozen chicken, whole chicken for $13.99. Mm. So you let that chicken thaw. You get a good knife. I suggest to anyone 
it's like invest in what is in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. Invest in a good blender. Invest in good knives. Right. Go on YouTube. We have a wealth of knowledge at our fingertips. Use it. Learn how to cut up a chicken. Okay. And it makes me so happy that I know how to do this. Yeah. It makes me so happy that I can just like cut off the thighs. I'm sorry, vegans. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And, and then all of a sudden, you have your breast, you have your thighs, you have your wings, and you've gotten it at a fraction of the price. Yeah, it's true. Right? If you learn how to cook a beef cheek, which are literally for one beef cheek is like four bucks. And I'm not even aware of that. Yeah, and it's delicious. All you have to do is like you're, you just trim a little bit of the fat off. Your slow cooker is your best friend, and it will be divine. I will look into that. One of my favorite cuts is the beef heart. I've never had, I have yet and, to have the beef heart. And most people will not even think about eating a yeah. beef heart. But I stuff that, you know, the same recipe as a, as a bread stuffing for the turkey. Yeah. And I, I stuff a beef heart with <clears throat> stuffing and it's one of my favorite foods. And yeah, you can pick up a beef heart pretty yeah. inexpensively. And you know, it's because a lot of my stories end up, there's a lot of history around it. Mm-hmm. And when you think about food and history and some of our famous dishes, they were created out of necessity. Yes. Haggis. Haggis. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Which I had once and it was disgusting. And that was in a restaurant in Edinburgh. So someone has to make me haggis that is good because that was literally like ground beef that was vomited up on my plate. It was anyway. <laughs> but that's the thing is like, but we had a knowledge of cooking, which we mm-hmm. have lost. Mm-hmm. An average person can cook between three to five meals. Oh, okay. Which limits what you can do. Mm-hmm. And I think by looking at the past a little bit and looking at the fact that we've needed ingenuity, people who did not have a lot mm-hmm. needed to use their creativity to make good food, we can do that again. We just tend to go and buy stuff that we're told to buy. Right. Or that's right in front of us. Or that's right in front of us. Yeah. And it's not and it's not easy to get your beef tongue. You have to change your shopping habits. Yeah, it's true. And you have to do yeah. research in order to be able to find it. And we're all looking for convenience. Yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Let's take a moment now and we'll go to a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit further about our responsibility as consumers and a little bit more about this topic. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? What if you could make a far bigger impact than you ever thought possible? Charitable giving is often presented as something you do when you're extremely wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and designing your contribution at every step around the issues important to you. Learn how clarity about what is important to you gives every aspect of life new meaning. Tune in to Step Right with Lynn regularly. Welcome back. This is Step Right with Lynn, part of the Mindful Money Management Program. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. My guest today is Leanne Shaken, host of The Smart Seed. In The Smart Seed, Leanne presents stories about food, and we've been talking about some of our misconceptions about food and how we can be more creative to eat well and save some money. Leanne, why is it important that we care about the issues around our food? Climate change. Mm. You know, I think when you think about food, I think we should also keep in mind water. 
One of my latest podcasts was about avocados and the fact that California produces a large percentage of the produce that we consume in Canada. Mm-hmm. And California has been going through a drought for, I think, four years now. And we're not really talking about it. It's on the news once in a while, but the reporting hasn't really gone to the point where it's like, this is how it's going to impact you and this is how it is impacting you. So, for instance, just yesterday, there was a customer that mentioned the price of avocados and how they're really expensive. Avocados have gone up in price astronomically over the last few years. One reason is because of the drought in California, which has lowered the yield there. So we have to depend on other areas like Mexico and Ecuador. Definitely Mexico. So there is a state in Mexico that produces the most avocados in the world. And it just so happens that it's a little unstable and there's a lot of drug cartels down there. Mm -hmm. And because the price of avocados was so advantageous to them, it made more sense for the drug cartels to get into the avocado business than it did to get into the drug business. So you actually had, you had avocado farmers. The drug cartels would actually demand money off of every box of avocados that the avocado Mm. farmers grew. Wow. They demanded money from the people who sold the pesticides and fertilizers. They were asking people, farmers, to give them the title on their land. If they didn't, then they threatened. They either kidnapped their family, their children. Mm -hmm. They killed them. So there's a tremendous amount of conflict right there. Yeah. And I think it shows this is what is happening in a certain area in the world that does not have a lot of government control. Mm -hmm. And all I'm saying is that it's been exasperated by climate change. Mm -hmm. Or if you don't believe in climate changing, then a change in the weather. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's affecting what we pay here. But for us, we're just at the point where we're like, well, it's more expensive. Why is it more expensive? This is inconveniencing me. Right. And we have yet to go to the point of, okay, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Why is this happening? Last year, because our dollar went down, mm-hmm. price of produce skyrocketed. I think last year, for a whole month, cauliflower was around $12 a head. That was organic. But still, even like normal conventional cauliflower was at like $7, which is really expensive. Mm -hmm. And it's then when everything goes up that people are starting to go, okay, why? Right. And, you know, I think for me, especially at this time when you have political changes, Mm -hmm. you see how fragile our systems are. And they are fragile. And our food system, our water system is so fundamental. Yes. To our existence. Oh, that's true. Yes. And it is fragile. And if something goes wrong here, it affects everything else. Mm-hmm. What we call the Arab Spring that occurred, I think it was 2010-11, where you had people in Tunisia, Egypt, Syria uprise and revolt against their governments. A part of that was because the price of wheat skyrocketed. Really? And so they could no longer afford, they could no longer afford to eat. For some places in the world, they are extremely dependent on staples. Syria, a portion of Syria has gone through a drought, mm-hmm. a severe drought, 
for the last few years. And there are some articles that believe, serious UN articles. Mm -hmm. They were finding that farmers couldn't grow anything, and so they were moving into cities, which increased the stress on the cities. They lost their incomes, and they believe that that drought had a part to do with the chaos that's occurring now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it starts small, but they're fundamental to our stability. And I don't expect people to go to the grocery store and to think about the things Mm -hmm. that I think about. But at some point, we're going to have to confront the fact that the systems we depend on are not as stable as they appear to be, Mm. and that we need to take them seriously. And we need to have, like in Canada, we should have a plan. We do not produce nearly enough produce to sustain ourselves. Right. I think last week, Trudeau was just in Argentina, and they just signed a deal for pork to go down to Argentina. Mm-hmm. Part of the, the free trade deal with Europe is about opening our agricultural markets, our industrial agricultural markets to Europe. Mm-hmm. And so I believe it's fundamental for us to try to get our government to not just promote our industrial farming, which is unsustainable, takes a tremendous amount of energy, but also to promote a parallel system of local farmers to make it so that they can make money off of it, because most of them don't make money now. Right. And to kind of stabilize what we can grow here. We need to be growing more food in Canada. And if we're growing our food here, and we could grow a lot more of it, but we'd have to can, or what about the use of greenhouses? Yeah, if we grew more food here, I don't know what it would look like. You know, you can go back to your traditional family farm of 50 acres, like a diverse mixed farming, but you could also have urban farming, Mm -hmm, Uh, That's right? So like indoor greenhouses, Mm -hmm. hydroponics Mm -hmm. that grow a bunch of lettuce and everything. I don't know what it would look like, Mm -hmm. and I don't know enough to say what it should look Mm -hmm. like. All I know is that if we want to not be dependent on outside forces, that we really should be growing more. Mm-hmm. And in, a, in an age where job sectors are changing mm-hmm. and there's a flux in the market, in the employment market, I don't see anything, any reason why we can't be more creative. The one thing about greenhouses is that it takes so much energy, right? And so oh, it's about, yeah. I think that it'll be a mix of technology and creativity mm-hmm. to kind of find a way to produce food that is sustainable to grow mm-hmm. and at a price margin that people can afford. Yeah, because we can grow that cauliflower in the right season, right? But yeah. There, but there's really only, I don't know, like a month or a little more than a month when cauliflower is available to us locally. Yeah, and we're in southern Ontario. Right. So yeah. when you're talking about Canada, when I lived in Saskatchewan, you have two less months of growing okay. outside, which is really depressing. Right. First week of September, you're in winter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) you're like where did my fall go but i think you know the north right now because they have a food crisis right and it is just simply unaffordable for them it's really interesting what communities are trying to do in the Mm -hmm. arctic i think just the right people are there right it's the government that needs to start paying attention i think i've i've decided that you know on an individual basis we can do a lot and we can say what's important by the end of the day, we need a government 
to say this is important Mm -hmm. and we are going to invest our funds into these things boy so there's a lot of there's a lot of issues right yeah Yeah. not easy Lynn (laughs) what are the top three issues okay well I think that the one we just covered would be the top one right right that's like fundamental to the running of our society is how can we now and towards the future how are we going to invest in our agriculture and what is important to us? Right. Right now, my opinion is that our government and most of the investing is going into the wrong direction. I think number two, we fundamentally have to look at ourselves. And I put myself into this group. I think as people who buy stuff, we tend to be inward looking. I'll go back to what questions do I get asked? Very few questions. Am I asked, what is the farmer in this scenario? Mm -hmm. A lot of the questions about ourselves, about our health, about our money. You know, it's disappointing that I don't think the fair trade label is as big as a deal as it should be and gets as much attention as it should be. Usually the only time the farmer is in the equation is if you know the farmer. But I do think that at the end of the day, we are in a globalized society. and. I would like to eat a pomegranate mm-hmm. one way or another, mm-hmm. or a coconut. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that shutting ourselves in is an answer to anything. But we forget about a coconut farmer who makes, like, nothing. Right. And we really need to connect. We need to connect to people. We need to kind of reach out and think about other people. Yesterday, our, my produce delivery guy, I was talking to him, and he spends eight months out of his year here in Canada. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is with his family in Jamaica. Oh, wow. Right? And he was telling me about, he was talking about his son and how his son, his youngest son, does not understand why his dad has to leave for eight months. Right. These are the people that grow our food, mm-hmm. most of our food, in the summertime. And we should think about them. And we should talk about these issues, which, you know, sometimes we don't like to talk about. But should temporary foreign workers be able to be permanent residents? If they make an impact on our society, for our well-being of our society, should we give them the opportunity to live here and to live with their families? In Saskatchewan, I worked with um, a guy from the Philippines. Mm -hmm. He spent an atrocious amount of money to get there. I'm talking about like $5,000 or something. Wow. Right? They get ripped off in their home country. And they get here. He was told he was supposed to work there for a year. Mm -hmm. And then our farm was like, no, I only need you for like four months. And so it was because the farmer had a heart that he worked to make sure that he could stay the whole year. These are the people that grow our food. And we do not think about the people that grow our food. You know, and it's understandable. We're all very stressed and we don't have a lot of time and we all have issues on our plate. Mm -hmm. But from what I've learned is that the more I look outward, the more I learn. Mm -hmm. And I think we're at a time where we have to balance things. We have to take care of ourselves tomorrow, but we also have to take care of ourselves in 10 years and 50 years. And that means we have to think about our issues now and what our issues are going to be. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. really, our government should be doing that job for us. <laughs> but they don't tend to do that job for us. So. Yes. Yes. So it's about, being, it's about being mindful. 
Yeah. And just, you know, I think you were right in the sense that I'm trying to find the truth, whatever that is. Sometimes it's like it's your truth or whatever, but I'm trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work. But, uh, you know, be critical. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some critical thinking, I guess you would call it. Yeah. Like just, you know, I think it's just like if you're presented something, you know, everyone has a story to tell, right? But you have to decide what that, what the intent is behind that story and what the truth is behind that story. Mm-hmm. I've lived on a farm and it's, it wasn't even that big of a farm. We had 6,000 chickens. But I know what those farms look like. Mm-hmm. I know the reality of things. Right. I think the last thing I would say is that what is rarely talked about and what re- people rarely think about is the idea of scale. If you go to a big store and you have that product in thousands of stores across, let's just take meat, for example, across Canada. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that they can do this, this, and this. They're humanely raised. Their animals are happy and healthy. You have to think about that product being in all those stores and how many, what scale they're working on. For me, I feel like you have to scale down in order to really meet the ideals that we want our animals to be in and our mm-hmm. farmers to be in. Don't forget the farmers work in these scales too. Mm-hmm. And the farmers have to be in these barns as well. So I question whether something can actually be what it spouts if it's in these big stores. If you mm-hmm. go to a farm, you're going to pay more, mm-hmm. but you can be guaranteed what environment they're in. Mm-hmm. But I think we really need to start thinking about scale, the size, and if that can match. You know, do you think a chicken can be humanely raised if it's in a barn with 50,000 chickens? That's the question. Mm-hmm. It'd be pretty hard to know whether that one had a sore toe or not, wouldn't it? Yeah. So when we identify the issues, then it's a matter of making some choices for ourselves. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I guess the, the point is there's so many issues, we, we can't begin to identify them all. Yeah, okay, this is what I would say. Let's say if you're, because I don't want people to be like, oh my God, I'm just going to curl up right. in my bed and do nothing. This is what I would suggest. Continue your regular grocery shopping, but pick one store. Go around to your community mm-hmm. and pick one small store. Maybe it's one small farm. You might not buy a lot from there. But when I moved to Guelph, what I did Mm -hmm. was, because I I still dearly miss the place I worked at in Regina, because it had a tremendous amount of soul, and there's just something very special about that place. But I went to all the stores in the Guelph area, and I tried to find their soul. Like, just how you feel when you Mm -hmm. walk in. And I picked the one that I felt, like, I was like, okay, I'll see if I can work here, Mm -hmm. because I liked the vibe of it. I was talking to my husband the other day, and I was telling a story, but I was talking to this customer. He said, you know, I don't think these customers get this a lot. Can you imagine going to a big store and someone having a conversation about whatever we were having a conversation about? There is a tremendous amount of joy that happens in some of these stores. We sing at our store. (laughs) Sometimes customers get serenaded whether they want to or not. Pick one of those stores. Just go there maybe once every two weeks. You, you might think initially, okay, these are going to be really, it's going to be really expensive. But, but do what I suggest. Buy things that are on discount. 
ask people, like ask the people, you know, is there a specific day that things go on discount? Mm-hmm. Ask what can be most cost effective. Ask for those products that I was talking about, like beef cheeks, pork jowl, those things that you wouldn't necessarily eat, but are delicious or haven't, you, or haven't even heard of. <laughs> and start there. It really starts with changing our habit. And it's about changing our consumer habit. So in order to change our right. consumer habit, we have to move it. So just pick a small store, it can even be a bakery or whatever, and just start going there and put a little, a little bit more money, a little bit more time. And then the world opens up for you. Right. And then you get to know more people. You can be introduced to new things. Mm-hmm. At my old place, I would have one fella who basically, he went from place to place to place. Literally every two weeks, I was like, well, where are you living now? He was halfway between like homeless and not homeless. And yet he would come every single week and he loved his bananas. And oftentimes we would order extra bananas. And so he would get the brown bananas on half mm-hmm. off. Yeah. If it's important to you, and I'm not telling you whether it should be important to you or not, that's up to you to decide. Our life is all about figuring out what our priorities are and what we can live with. Mm-hmm. Food is my priority. I think if you eat healthy, you can live a longer life, a more joyful life. And so that's my priority. It doesn't need to be yours. And then if it is, you can be creative and you can figure it out if you want to put the energy towards it. So how can people learn more? Well, if they want to learn more about me, my website is www.thesmartseed.ca. I have my blogs and my podcasts up there. Mm -hmm. They can also follow me at lshaken, S-C-H-A-E-K-E-N, on Twitter or on Instagram at the smart seed. Yeah, and I would highly suggest if you want to learn more about food, just follow me on Twitter at LShaken because I post a lot of things. That's great. The way we spend our food dollars is certainly part of mindful money management. And thanks for sharing your knowledge today, Leanne. You're welcome, Lynn. So listeners, I certainly encourage you to look up Leanne's podcast, The Smart Seed. And while you're on SoundCloud, Log in, become a follower of The Smart Seed. And if you haven't yet followed Step Right with Lynn, please do so, so that I can break this deal and get a break of a month of Sunday suppers being prepared and show my daughter that I can get 100 new followers for the show. I'm really excited about the impact uh, that you and I can make by applying mindful money management. And I bring this program to new people every week Ordinary folk just like you that are learning to spend, invest, and donate to create a better world. If any of this resonates with you, tell me about it. I'd love to chat with you about what's important to you and how you will apply mindful money management. Send me an email, lynn at stepright.ca. That's L-Y-N-N at stepright, S-T-E-P-R-I-G-H-T dot C-A. Or give me a call, 519 Six five four eight three four two. Thanks for visiting with Leanne and I today. You can learn more by visiting my website www.stepright.ca and subscribing to Insights to Mindful Money Management. Insights will come right to your email, and it will contain articles from myself and others about how you can be mindful when you spend, invest, and donate. And I think that we'll see Leanne as a contributor there, (laughs) along with some other expert and mindful folks. So jump right on that so you don't miss the valuable information that my contributors are planning for you. This is Lynn Wedham, 
The show is Step Right with Lynn. It's a part of Mindful Money Management Program. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and the greater community. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. We hope you'll join us next time. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.